Yeah, I'm not going to say anything about the pulsating audio hijack because you might put it in the show. This is episode 8 of Ruminate, a podcast about the opportunities and challenges technology presents us with every day. I'm John Voorhees, and with me is Rob Lewis. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. You've had um, a nice uh, nice uh, amount of days off this week, because uh, it's, yeah, uh, it's American Thanksgiving, is it not? It is. It's still Thanksgiving week- weekend, technically, I guess, because it's Sunday. I um, Yeah, I took an extra day off, so I've had a good solid... This is my fifth day with uh, not going to the office, which is kind of nice. Yeah, that's great. Did you uh, did you have a good uh, Thanksgiving day? Some uh, some nice food. I think you you went out for food. Is that right? We did. We decided to take it easy this time and uh, not make a big mess in the house. And we went downtown to Chicago and went to a uh, barbecue joint that was doing just kind of like a set menu of traditional Thanksgiving dinner. You know, um, mashed potatoes, turkey, nice barbecue smoked turkey, which was it was fantastic. So went into the city. It was nice because it was pretty quiet in the city, and then um, back on out home. So it was good. Yeah, it sounds like a good plan. Uh, no, no washing up to do, no cleaning up. Uh, yeah, I'm sure exactly. Everyone's happy with that. Yes, it was much more relaxing when we got home. Not much to do. So um, we've got a little bit of. Well, we've got quite a lot of follow up actually this week. Um, the first one I mentioned that I'd watched uh, the the Dark Knight trilogies and or the Dark Knight trilogy, and uh, I'd been put off because of the earlier Batman films. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to give the earlier Batman films a try. Uh, yeah, that was your, that was the that was a mistake, right? I got thirty minutes in, and uh, and uh, by this point, like my girlfriend had completely stopped watching, um, and I just decided to uh, to turn it off. Yeah, it was about twenty twenty five, maybe thirty minutes in, and it was. I mean, it's just so bad. Yeah, they uh, don't age. They don't. They weren't very good when they came out, and they didn't. They don't age well. I don't think either. No, the, the the acting's not very good. The the budget was obviously very very low. Um, for the kind of thing that they'd really need to make a good film like that um yeah it's not good uh, i would i wouldn't recommend it <laughs> yeah that that one what's interesting about that one that one seen that one kind of tried to play it straight i think for a good part of the movie if i'm remembering right um but as they go on the um i think there were at least two others that were kind of in that that um chain of, of batman movies and they got campier and campier as they went on um and i think they got they, and they got worse and worse um and they finally just you know they basically i i didn't think there was ever going to be a batman movie again after that series because um they basically ran it straight into the ground yeah there's actually the uh, the fourth one in that series which is uh, batman and robin um is on wikipedia's list of the worst films of all time Right. I'm not sure I've actually seen that one. I know I've seen the other three, but that one I may not have actually seen because at the time it was recognized to be pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge list on uh, on Wikipedia for you know each decade and stuff. And uh, yeah, Batman and Robin, which I think was 1997, um, yeah, was was one of the worst films uh, of that decade apparently. So, uh, but yeah, I won't I won't be watching any more of those because the that first 30 minutes was just awful. Yeah, there's plenty of other good things to watch. <laughs> yeah, <movie>. definitely. <laughs> so uh, we got some uh, the pulled pork popcorn. Well, yeah, the pulled pork vertical. Really, I mean, where I forget where this came from. Where did we? You were just telling me that you like pulled pork, right? I don't even remember how how we got into this thing about pulled pork. Well, I, I think I found the popcorn uh, in the supermarket, oh, right. and then we discussed the pulled pork. Pulled pork. Uh, you know, the the pulled pork vertical. As you put it. Um. The popcorn was good. Really? It, it was actually quite nice. 
Was it just like barbecue potato chips or I don't know? You know, you know that when they, the the typical barbecue seasoning they put on things. Yeah, I guess that's probably a good good way to describe it. I mean, because it was popcorn, it was a little it was a little bit sweet as well. Um, okay. but you still had the barbecue kind of flavor. Um, uh-huh. Whether it's pulled pork flavor or not is is arguable. Um, <laughs> but it, it was nice enough that I actually went out and bought another bag. No, oh, okay. It was a, at least a good approximation of pulled pork, right? If you don't think about it too hard, it, it's not doesn't it's not as disgusting as it sounds. Yeah, absolutely. So that is that is, that is Rob approved product. Um, <laughs> okay, good. I haven't seen it here, but if I do, maybe I'll give it a shot. Um, and Ben on Twitter tweeted us that he found some pulled pork sausages uh, in, in Tesco. Yeah, he got a good bargain too, didn't he? It was like a it was like a pound fifty or something. Uh yeah, that was uh that's a good price. I think those are normally normally three pounds. Uh so <laughs> um I, I'm not sure how they uh I, I'm not sure how a sausage can be both a sausage and pulled pork. Um, yes, yes. Unless you stuff pulled pork into a sausage casing, maybe. I don't know. Ben didn't report back on how they were though, did he? Uh he did. Uh, oh, they, he did. He he did get back to us. I'm not sure. Maybe he just tweeted me. Um, but they, they he just said not good. But that was it. That was the entirety oh, of his okay. review. That's probably why I missed it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, avoid All the right. pulled pork sausages. Uh, I yes. think is the advice from Ben. Yes. Walk on by when you're in Tesco next time. Absolutely, uh, John. Talk, before we actually get to this part. Talk me through the chain of events that led me led you to uh, to text me and ask if I'd sent you something. Well, if you recall from the uh, the last show, we had done our our um, things not to get people for the holidays. It's kind of our anti gift guide, and right at the top of the list was the Nicolas Cage pillowcase. And about four days after we recorded that, I was sitting at work and. My wife called me and said, did you order something from Amazon? And, you know, I order things from Amazon all the time. They could be just about anything. And she said, did you mean to buy this? Because <laughs> she had opened up a package containing a Nicolas Cage pillowcase. <laughs> and I immediately thought, oh, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> could that be you? And, of course, it was Rob. Rob had sent me the uh, Nicolas Cage pillowcase as an early, uh, early holiday gift. And uh, it's... It's very creepy and very, very funny. We have a picture of it sitting on my bed, and I will. We can put that in the show notes. Um, but it was pretty funny. It was very funny. Yeah, the uh, the, the picture I think really does it justice of just quite how creepy uh, this uh, this pillowcase is. Um, and you mentioned to me about the quality of it, John. It's it's not good. No, no. I mean, there's a reason why this thing was less than ten dollars. It's 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 a very strange whatever they did to put this photograph on the pillowcase. I don't know if they wrecked the fabric or the fabric was wrecked already, but it's it's slippery. It's a little plasticky. I'd say you immediately think, well, I'm not putting my head on this because <laughs> it'll either slip off or you'll sweat. Um, so it, it's a good decorative item, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I, I will admit, I have not actually slept on Nicolas Cage's head. That was. I just couldn't bring myself to do that. So I've, I've still got it, but uh, I'm not going to actually use it. Uh, I'm going to actually use it at night, Rob. No, I assume you've moved it off of your bed. Now, is it is it actually being used as a uh, you know a pillow anywhere, or is it just if you just put it away for now? <laughs> at the moment, it is folded up and sitting on a uh, and sitting on a bureau in my bedroom. 
with Nicholas's cage face, cage's face at the top, staring at me every time I walk into the room. That's that that was worth the ten dollars that I paid to get it shipped. To you. <laughs> yeah, yes, so I have to figure out what to do with it. Maybe I mean it is we are decorating for Christmas, so maybe I'll just you know find a good pillow to put it on and and put it somewhere in a place of prominence in my home. I, I'm sure your family will be very happy with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And you found some more uh, Nicolas Cage uh, wearables, if you, yes, <laughs> if you want. Yes, well, from from uh, do, putting together our anti-gift guide, uh, I wrecked my recommendations on Amazon. And I was, I, I don't even know how to describe this other than it's a picture of Nicolas Cage's head smiling maniacally. Uh, but it's a, it's kind of a, it's, it's a whole, it, someone's taken that picture of his head and photoshopped it over and over and over again into a big mosaic kind of 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 um of his head on a t-shirt uh and it's very strange i almost sent this to you rob but then i i should have i should have just sent it to you and not uh and not put it in the show notes but i i wasn't thinking at the time so i'll have to come up with something better to to torment you with <clears throat> yeah the uh the amazon recommend amazon are quite uh aggressive with their uh with their recommendations um and also their emails. Um, I mentioned this to you, to you before we started recording, but um, because I ordered through Amazon.com to send you the uh, the pillowcase, uh, although I used my UK Amazon account, um, they're treating me like I'm a new customer. Um, so uh -huh. I'm getting new emails like every single day from Amazon. Like, oh, check this out. Here's some more recommendations for you. And I've kind of tried to unsubscribe from them all. But when I log into my account, it says I'm already unsubscribed from them all. So... Um, so yeah, huh. that's uh, that's been that's been a fun week for uh, email marketing, as it were. Well, that's that's a little bit of payback. I talked to Amazon and, and I, I made sure you'd get email, be tormented by email. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. They should have something on Amazon, maybe a little bit like Netflix. You know, when you log into Netflix, you can you can you can uh, say who's watching. The TV, so it doesn't pollute your recommendations. Uh, because I have, you know, I don't know. We have, we don't have multiple Amazon accounts in our family, so there's always somebody tapping or clicking on something at Amazon. So the recommendations are just bizarre most of the time. Yeah, and I think, and all it takes really is like somebody on Twitter to uh, post a link to something, you accidentally click it. Um, I remember a while ago, uh, somebody. This is such a British thing, but. Uh, the the book was something like the best roundabouts of the UK. Um, yeah, that sounds like a great coffee table book. <laughs> absolutely, and uh, and and all I was getting was kind of uh, road related book recommendations for maybe a month or two. Oh, I hate roundabouts. I hate driving on those. They don't have those in the Midwest. I really no, hardly ever. I mean, they've, there's a few now, but um, they do have them in places like Boston. Um, where my wife is from. And the first time I ever visited her, I was driving her mother's car around a roundabout and uh, doing a very bad job at it. <laughs> and a guy in a pickup truck rolled down his window and threw a screwdriver at me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, br I braked and it went sailing over the, uh, over the hood and everything was okay. But it was, uh, it, I think it traumatized me. <laughs> so um, what more follow-up have we got? Amazon, Apple TV. Uh, yeah, do you think this is real? I, I'm really skeptical of this. It's like just just some guy who got a a support email, right? Yeah, the the guy uh, Dan on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure how I saw this. To be honest, I think somebody just replied. Um, but he allegedly he emailed uh, Amazon through their feedback uh, link in the iOS app, and they they confirmed uh, again allegedly that 
uh, they will be making a, a TV app. Huh. Well, that would be great. I mean, I, it strikes me as they're that they've that it's not in their interest not to do one. Um, because I mean, really, don't they want people getting all their media through Amazon and, and having as much contact with people as possible instead of just kind of, I don't know, staying off the store out of spite? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a uh, there was a Reddit thread that that linked to this um, to this tweet, and there was also somebody else um, in the comments that said. I got this reply from somebody else. Like, I think he just sent an email to the support support email. Um, and, and, and he'd had a very similar response. Um, so I, I, I'm going to kind of give this guy the benefit of the doubt and assume that it is real for now. Um, oh, yeah. I, yeah, it, it'd be great if they if it is real. Um, it, it just seemed like they were, you know, especially since they took all the Apple hardware off off of Amazon, it seemed like it was this was a like a planned and concerted effort to stay off of the Apple TV. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I guess we'll see in a couple of weeks. Uh, there, was, there was an email that actually I sent to them because um, I've been trolling them a little bit on Twitter um, every now and again. You, <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> um, I like it. It's good. And, and I kind of sent them an email and, you know, I played the belligerent customer going, you know, I pay for Prime and I can't even access it on my Apple TV and, and this kind of stuff. And they were pretty vague when they when they responded, but they certainly didn't flat out say no. Um, so I think all all of this is adding up to um, to me really getting getting quite a lot of hope that that, that you know they are actually going to release a, a TV version. Yeah, well, I hope Dan's email is right. I mean that 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 would be fantastic. I the the main I you know I have Amazon Prime too, and we've got a one of those Roku sticks. Um, and I'm just too lazy to switch over to it to watch use Amazon most of the time. I mean, there are a few things that are unique over there, um, but I I usually don't do it just because it's it's easier just to stay in the Apple TV since that's the main box attached to our television. Yeah, definitely, I completely agree. I mean, I've got I think I've said said in the past, you know, I've got all manner of streaming boxes and, and consoles and stuff. But you know, again, like you, I, I don't really want to switch over. I just want to stay in one place and. Uh, I just stick stick to one one box. Well, and especially if they integrate it into the universal search with the Siri remote, that would be really nice. I mean, I have used that a few times, especially when I th- you know I think of an older movie that I want to watch and and just do a quick search to see if I can find it on Netflix or somewhere where it doesn't cost anything. That, that's a great way to do it. Yeah, I think the uh, the universal search would be great if Amazon were on that because obviously in the US you've got quite a few options for that universal search. You know, you've got Hulu and I think HBO Go and things like that. Right. In the UK, there's not actually that many services. I mean, it's pretty much limited to just uh, Netflix and iTunes. Right. Um, you know, we don't have Hulu, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, HBO Go, I'm not sure if we have or not. Um, but there's certainly not as many options um, outside the US. Yeah, I've never gotten into Hulu. I've thought about it before. But, I mean, there's a lot of overlap between it and Netflix, I think. Um, and it's just another service to pay for, so I haven't haven't done it. Yeah, I think it's you really have to kind of look at the services and decide which ones are, are worth your time and money. And as you say, if there's a lot of overlap with these, these services, then, um, you know, you're probably wasting a lot of money. Yeah. Well, it's overlap in terms of both being largely TV content. Um, I guess Hulu is probably a little more focused on current television shows, you know, things coming out a week or two after they're broadcast. Um, but I, you know, I'm in no hurry usually. So I usually just w- wait till it's on Netflix. Yeah, that makes sense. 
So uh, talking of uh, things that we can spend our money on that perhaps we don't need, uh, you've uh, you tried out the iPad Pro this week. Oh, I did, and my resistance is uh, really flagging. I mean, it's it, it's really nice. I um, I was I didn't expect to be quite as impressed as I was. I guess I don't know why. Um, but I mean, this has been belabored by a lot of people on podcasts and websites, so I'm not going to go too in depth on it. But one thing is that the pencil was larger than I expected, definitely in terms of length. Um, it is really well, really well balanced and weighted, um, and it works amazingly well. Uh, I did notice, um, a difference between the lag on different apps. Um, the notes app, it's barely perceptible, um, but on something like um, 53's paper, uh, you could definitely, especially if you were writing quickly, you could see um, you could see a noticeable lag. Although it's better still than most styluses I've used on like an iPad, a regular iPad. Um, I was in a fairly busy Apple store um, and put on the Mad Max Fury Road movie, and immediately was kind of blown away by the speakers because there's just you know, there's four speakers in each of the corners, and I couldn't really tell. It was too loud in the store to really tell when I rotated it if the bass was moving around like it like it supposedly does. But um, in a loud store, I could still hear all the dialogue. It was um, it was really good. Oh, that, and, that sounds great. I mean, I think they're really, especially with the speakers, they're really kind of um, setting it up to be a um you know this is a proper kind of media device you know there are a lot of people and i think you know mike hurley's talked about this a lot that he watches tv on his laptop um you know that's just how he wants to watch tv um and i can see with the ipad pro that especially with these new speakers and things that you know they really want you to just be able to use this um you know as a really good uh you know viewing device Right, and the screen is just big enough that it, it, you know, if you're holding that and watching television, it's um, it's a great experience. I was watching, you know, this was a letterboxed movie, um, and if you had a, a slightly larger aspect ratio for a television show, it would um, fill more of the screen, and, and it, it was just a great bright screen. Uh, and it was lighter than I expected. I mean, it is about the same weight as an original iPad, which I had, and we still have around the house somewhere, <clears throat> but... Uh, it's just balanced. It's very thin, like the um, you know, a lot like the air, a little thicker, I think, if I remember right. Um, but it, the the weight is balanced really well, so that it it didn't seem didn't seem heavy. Although you know, I wasn't using it for a long period of time picking it up. Um, but I tried out all kinds of things. I mean, um, book uh, books were really nice. You could get two nice full pages of text side by side, like a regular book, if you wanted to, holding it in in. Um, landscape that was kind of a nice um nice experience and th- what really made me go in and check it out was mike hurley's review on the pen addict because you know mike's kind of a pen known pen and pencil guy and i knew that if i ever got the ipad pro i would really want i really wanted to know how it worked for taking notes marking up documents that sort of thing um you know pdfs and everything and um He's right. I mean, it's amazing how easy it is to write on that thing. Um, I, you, know, you can write very small. Uh, the palm rejection is fantastic. It's just an all-around great 1.0 product. I don't. I still don't know if I'm going to get one. I, it's uh, still very expensive, and I don't really need it. So I may. I'm trying to resist still, but it was. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned uh, Mike's uh, Apple Pencil review, and I think 
much like Federico Vitici's review of the iPad Pro itself, um, you know, the the review of the Apple Pencil really needs to be done by somebody who actually, you know, writes things down, um, you know, takes notes and things like that. I mean, for me, I, I'm not even convinced I can probably write very well anymore because um, I'm always yeah. on a computer. But, um, you know, Mike, Mike's review is definitely worth checking out because, um, you know, really goes through the the points that you know if you're the kind of person who wants to write notes and, and mark up documents and things like that um you know th- this will probably be of interest to you yeah i still take notes a lot because they help me remember things and kind of like sink information into my brain it's more of a way to learn things than it is to a, you know a reference for me so i knew going in that that writing was handwriting was going to be something that if if i were to get it i would use it because i'm not really an artist i mean i'd like to doodle around um but doodling around is not a good reason for me to buy a you know a thousand dollar ipad so uh the note taking is something that would actually be useful day to day for me um and i think based on what i saw it definitely would be um doable when you know compared to some things that have I guess in the past haven't been able to really do that well with iPads. So, yeah, definitely. Um, there was also uh, we've got this in the notes uh, an episode of Connected uh, where they talked uh, about Mike's review and you know a little bit more on the iPad Pro because um, I don't think really uh, we're the people to cover it um, because you know neither of us have have one. Uh, you know you've used one but I certainly haven't. Um, so that's a uh, Connected sixty seven um and you know they go through uh, a lot of the you know more details on on the ipad pro and the pencil and using it and things like that so it's definitely worth uh, checking that out yeah i mean it, yes my my comments are definitely qualified by the fact that i tried it for about 10 minutes at a busy store i'm definitely going to go back and fiddle around with it some more because um, it was it was a lot of fun but uh, this time of year is not the best time of year to be going to the apple store with everybody starting their christmas shopping no, definitely not. I mean, I'm I'm just going to, to be honest, from now until kind of uh, after Christmas, I'm just going to be avoiding any any shops altogether if I can help it. Yeah, I agree. It's terrible. Um, well, we have another little bit of follow up, which is our our I guess or this is our, like our quest to find the perfect burger, right? And you went to uh, Five Guys. Yeah, this is our uh, our burger uh, vertical. Uh, yeah, so the uh, we mentioned last time there was a Five Guys opening up. Um, you know, uh, right, you know, pretty close to me, uh, on the, on the Thursday after we recorded and, uh, me and, you know, a couple of, few of the guys from work went up there. Um, and me and, uh, my boss ended up in the paper. Yeah. I saw that picture. That was a great picture. I, well, the only thing about that article, I was hoping that there would be like an angry local, uh, quote in their concern that there was going to be some sort of riots because of the new, you know, the new burger shop opening. Yeah, the uh, funny enough that that um, that edition of the uh, of the paper, uh, the the front page was filled with uh, a, an angry woman. Um, she, she was angry about some things. I, I I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know the headline and the picture. You know she she looked very sad and annoyed. Um, you know, so there probably wasn't a lot of time to uh, put any more angry locals in the uh, in the Five Guys section. <laughs> No, that was good. So you, uh, you had you, you'd had five guys before, right, or not? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the so both of my bosses, um, you know, the directors of my company and me, we'd had five guys before, um, but the uh, some of the other guys in the office hadn't. Um, but yeah, those of us that had had it were like really excited to you know for it to open, and it was taking a while. It had been delayed a few months. Um, but yeah, so as soon as it opened um, on the day, I kind of came in in the morning. I was like, "We are going to Five Guys today, aren't we?" And, uh, 
That looks like a cool complex. It's a movie theater, and they have the Five Guys and a bunch of other shops there, right? Uh, yeah, they've actually added this on. This is already a... Um, it's kind of a very American uh, style thing. One of these kind of outdoor uh, outlet shopping places kind of thing. Oh, um, yeah. And they've, you know, they've built on it over the last few years. So you've got kind of the shopping section, and then they've just added these, uh, you know, six new restaurants and uh, and a cinema as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a very. Uh, there's a few more of these popping up um, all over the UK. But yeah, it's that kind of American outdoor um, kind of shopping uh, center that you that, um, that you get. Yep. Yep. No, I, I'll never. I'll never understand why they do that in Chicago, where it's so cold most of the year. Um, they should. They should all be indoors. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure why they do, they do it in the UK at all. No, I know, but uh, who knows? I guess it works. I mean, the one of the outdoor ones near us did just did a whole new renovation, and they they covered up a lot more of it, so it's it's a little more comfortable. But in the winter time, it's not a lot of fun to be walking around outside from shop to shop. But no, I can um, imagine. Yeah, you inspired me to go to a place that I have been before in Chicago called O Cheval, which I think I mentioned on the last show, which um, is. It's kind of a hipstery type place. It's small, maybe holds a couple hundred people. Uh, and really all they make are burgers and breakfast food, and they have a good tap. Um, and I went back and had an Ocheval burger. And there, it, it, I, I remember from the last show, I was trying to remember why this thing had gotten so popular. But it recently got named as the number one hamburger in America on the Food Network. And then or I think a little before that, Bon Appetit magazine had been in Chicago trying out some very high-end restaurants, the kind of restaurants where, you know, you could easily drop $500 for two people for dinner. Right. And, and each each night after the reviewers went and tried things at these fancy restaurants, they finished the night at Cheval having burgers and fries. Um, and that, that ended up um, really catapulting this, this place Um you know, into the stratosphere so that it was almost impossible to get into. I, I don't think the last time I had been to it was early in the spring. And then every time I had gone by after that, there would be a line down the block. Um, so I, I didn't go in, but I went really early this time and had one and it was, a, it was an amazing burger. It had, uh, it also had, you know, it had a fried egg and super thick cut bacon on top of it. Um, what's really strange is they have, they have, you can get a single cheeseburger or a double cheeseburger. And a single cheeseburger has two patties, and a double cheeseburger has three, um, which doesn't make any sense to me. But that's how it works. Uh, yeah, that does that does sound strange. I mean, I'm certainly not complaining. Um, you know. It's, yeah, but uh, it's it, yeah, it's good. And they have and then they have really good fries with like um, garlic mayonnaise you can use to dip them in. And um, I it was good stuff. Definitely good stuff. It's been a while since I've been there. If you're ever in Chicago, you should def- definitely check it out. It's on the near west side near downtown. Yeah, um, it looks great. Actually, I was just looking at the uh, the pictures on the on the website, and I think you you sent me a picture, or, or maybe you tweeted. I, I can't remember, but yeah, it really does look great. So, um, you you've got another one on your list that you're you're going to go yeah. to. Is that right? Yeah, I haven't been for in a long time. It's called the Billy Goat Tavern, and it's been around since the '30s. Um, and it's this is just more of a traditional greasy spoon type place, uh, and it's the basis on which an old Saturday Night Live skit was done in the '70s um, with with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Uh, and it's it's just it's just another. It, it got well known because it is. Um, down near Michigan Avenue in Chicago, because of the Chicago fire, there are parts of Chicago that are almost like bi-level. 
mm. so that because because a lot of the city was built on the ruins of the of the city when it was burned down, um, and there are areas where you can go where there's almost like um, double decker streets and access to lower levels um, below the main street line now. And if you were near the Chicago Tribune, which was the um, you know, was one of the main newspapers in Chicago, you could go down these steps to this you know dark area underneath the main street and there was an old uh billy goat tavern down there that was the the original one and that's where a lot of um reporters would go uh and drink beer and eat cheeseburgers uh for years and years it's still there as far as i know maybe they still do um that's not the one that i usually go to because it's not close to where i am in chicago but um it's a it's an old tradition here and i've gone there many many times but not recently uh and so i need to get back Fantastic, um, and I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure if you uh, if you go in the next couple of weeks, we uh, we may have some uh, some more follow up. Yes, definitely. I'll let you know. That's, you know, it, it's very strange to be recording a podcast at near like five thirty in the morning on a Sunday and talking about cheeseburgers. But you know, it's it's not as hard as I, I thought it would be. See, it's great for me because it's you know it's lunchtime here, so <laughs> I know you're probably hungry now. I'm just thinking about having breakfast. Yeah, I made kind of made a conscious effort to uh, to eat before we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> so um so do you want to uh talk about this uh you've got something coming out on uh, on mac stories yeah yeah i'm pretty excited about this i mean i'm gonna make my debut on monday as a contributor to mac stories which i mean very honored to be having something published there i mac stories is really one of my favorite favorite websites um i have a lot of respect for federico and his crew and, and all the people who write for him they, they do really good work and I had, had this is something that I had kind of on my to-do list for a long time, which is to write about what else the uh, the affiliate linking program, the iTunes affiliate linking program, um, and I never really did it in part because I didn't have a real hook or, or theme to uh, fit it into. Um, it's pretty; it can be at times a little bit of a dry pro- a dry topic. But um, after having gone to release notes and talk to a lot of developers and writers and podcasters about the affiliate program, I realized that while Blink solved the problem of of making it easier to make these links, um, there's a deeper problem or if you know or opportunity, which is that people don't really know that a lot of people don't really know this program very well. There are people who are doing who are using it to great effect. I mean I know Mac, you know Mac Stories uses it. Um, I know Brett Terpstra does it. Uh, a lot of the podcasters you and I know uh, use affiliate links in their show notes, uh, but there's still a lot of people who don't use them. And so, um, especially since we're you know there's this periodic uh, discussion, especially in the developer community, although it, it comes up with uh, writers as well that you know it's hard to make make a living online, and people are either blocking your ads if you're a writer. Or uh, if you're a developer, you know, there's the race to zero in terms of the price of apps. Um, There's a need to really kind of diversify your income and come up with other ways to try to uh, make a living as as someone who's doing something creative online. And I think while it's not a silver bullet and the and the solution to all your problems, the affiliate linking program is a good one is a good, you know, a good thing to have and use because um, it it will help you bring in a little extra money. So the point of the article is to kind of do a deep dive on that and explain it soup to nuts, uh, how you sign up, how it all works, 
what all the components are and talk about a bunch of use cases um, and in particular uh, developers, podcasters, and writers, and how they can use it uh, to to you know bring in some income for whatever they're doing. Yeah, so that's yeah, good. Definitely, this is um, I think this is something that uh, underscore David Smith talks about a lot. Um, you know, because he he notoriously has you know. 10 20 30 apps in the app store um you know and he has so he has all of these different income streams you know he's got a few uh kind of uh, software as services like a uh, feed wrangler and things like that um you know and, and he always talks about kind of uh, diversifying his income and, and you know making sure he's got various different streams so that if one thing stops there's always money coming in um and like you say i think you, you hit the nail on the head there that affiliate linking is just something that is not particularly difficult to do once you've, you know, once you've signed up and got it set up, um, you know, but it can at least bring in a little bit of extra money, um, you know, or if you're a bigger site, maybe like Mac stories, or as you say, Brett Herbstra, you know, it, it can, you know, it can bring in a significant amount of money. Um, you know, if you're linking a lot. Right. Right. And there are whole businesses based around it. I mean, you, uh, you're, there's the, uh, the daily app, which is a project that, that Graham Spencer, um, who also writes at Mac stories started recently, uh, which is he tweets out and links to one app a day. Uh, and that's an affiliate link. Um, and he's making money doing that. Um, so that, it, yeah, it's a, it's a good, you know, David, I think was, a kind of a inspiration for this too, because he's written about affiliate linking in the past. And one of the reasons I did it is because there are little tidbits of information all over the place, um, about the programs, you know, Dr. Drang's written about it. Dave Smith has written about it. Um, there are, there's tidbits in in stack overflow threads the you know terms and services of the program the apple pages there there's there's a lot of information out there but it's not um comprehensively discussed in any one place so i wanted to kind of bring that all together uh and make it easy for people because i know when i signed up um originally i kind of resisted doing it too because it just seemed like a little bit of a project um to set it all up and start figuring out what are these links about? There's a little bit of a, a little bit of friction there, uh, but the reality is it really only takes like 15 minutes to sign up. And once you realize that all you really have to do, the, the bare minimum you have to do in order to have a, a link that makes you some money is add like you know eight characters to the end of a of a URL. It's really something that just about everybody should do because I think it scales really well all the way from an individual person all the way on up to you know. Uh, uh, business size use like maybe Mac stories. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember, um, you know, I think it was when you'd released blink or, you know, maybe it was one of the updates and, and you know, we were talking and I think I posted a, a, a link to an app or something like that. And you said, Oh, you know, you should be using affiliate links. And I, I, I kind of dismissed it. Cause I, I just, I like you, I'd kind of looked around and, you know, as you say, there's bits of information everywhere, but there's no kind of concrete, you know this is how it everything works um i mean it eventually you know you you convinced me to buy it you know buy blink you sent me a link and an affiliate link funnily enough um you know and, and i bought it and, and you know I, I use affiliate links now and it, you know it doesn't make me it's certainly not going to pay my rent or anything but um you know it it's a little bit of extra money for for very little work Right, exactly, and that's the thing. I mean, it, it you know, it's all a matter of scale. I mean, I don't make a ton of money off of mine either. But um, when you look at it more in terms of the amount you you earn per click, 
in various places, um, it can be actually pretty good. I, I have found just from my own experience that the links I have on the Squibner website for the various apps we do actually get a really good return because, you know, people are going there try to find out more about the app and they're pro they're probably contemplating buying it. So if they do buy it, um, you make an extra 7% and a decent number of those people do that, um, through the website. So I get a very good return on those, but you know, maybe an app that I just see and tweet out in the middle of the day, you know, maybe 1% of the people actually click on that. So it's, it depends on kind of where you're using it and, um, how many people you've got following and seeing your links. Um, but it's, uh, you can, you can absolutely make some pretty good money on it if you, uh, if you figure the the whole system out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that that particular point, uh, you know, with using affiliate links for your own apps, um, you know, to get that 7% back is, is great. I mean, especially with, you know, this discussion about, you know, how to make money on the app store and it's quite difficult and things like that. Just using affiliate links for that, you know, increases your, you know, your, uh, your take home money, uh, from iTunes, uh, you know, straight away. I mean, that's a, that on its own is a great reason to, to use affiliate links, especially, you know, if you have got apps in the app store and things like that. Right. Yeah. You don't, you go from having a 70, 30 split to having a 77, 23 split, uh, which is a much better deal for the developer. So I never have, I don't have a link anywhere, anytime to my own stuff. That's not an affiliate link. Yeah. And I think it, you know, as I say that, that is a great, um, you know, relatively easy way to, um, you know, to make a little bit more money from the app store. Yeah. Yeah. So the article should be published about the same time that we send this out on Monday. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm kind of excited. It's, uh, you know, kind of my debut writing somewhere other than my own site. So, uh, it should be kind of cool. Yeah. It's great. Great to, um, you know, if nothing else, it's great to see it published. Cause you know, you've, you've been talking to me about it for, you know, as long as we've been doing this podcast, which is kind of, you know, uh, well, I guess we're on episode eight, so 16, 17 weeks now, um, you've been talking about doing this article and it's now I actually know. done. <laughs> now, now everybody knows how long I procrastinated about this. I mean, I actually have notes in, in somewhere on my computer from January thinking about doing this, but I didn't really get, uh, deep into writing it until sometime after I came back from release notes right around the beginning of November. So if nothing else you've reminded me that i've got an article sat there that i've, I've been working on for five or six weeks so um i'd probably get on with that as well and uh, see if i can actually get that published yeah it can be kind of hard can be kind of hard so um is there anything else you wanted to say about the uh your story or i guess uh you know people can no. check it out once once the show's out yeah check it out it should be on max stories on monday which is uh monday the 30th absolutely and we'll um We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes as well. Um, but, you know, they, this and the podcast and the the uh, article will probably be out at the same time. So um, we'll we'll pop a link in the show notes to that. Great. So uh, this uh, you've got a topic here, John. Um, do you want to lead me into this? Because I'm looking at this and I've no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, this is just a little topic. It was, you know, it's. I was thinking about um, you know, there's a, a lot of concern and and unhappiness about selling apps on the app store and um i thought i would i just wanted to mention one example i thought of how apple's actually made it a lot easier and a lot better for certain developers to sell this kind of app on the app store and that's really the utility productivity apps and it, it, there's three prongs to it really i mean it started with something called ui split view controller and that's 
basically, uh, I think that came in, I want to say iOS seven. Um, but it, it, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of utility apps are based off of a table view, which is just, you know, some sort of list you tap on a cell and then you go to some sort of detail and UI split view controller took that what was um, a traditional table view with a detail um, behind it and made it one thing so that on a phone, it just looks like it always did. It's a list. You tap on something and you go to a detail page on an iPad. You get the, the, the list on the left and the detail on the right. Um, It automatically lays it out that way without you having to do anything more. And that made making universal apps a lot simpler so this is the this is the kind of view that you'd see on uh like mail is that right on the, on the ipad like yeah. where you've got the list of emails on the left and and a detail on the right there right that's a good example and uh, notes is another good example uh it, when you think about it once you look once you know about how you know these um these work you realize how many apps are based in some way on the list detail view paradigm really and um yeah a lot of them are very custom in terms of their layout and look um but the underlying framework is the same it's like mail or or notes or whatever um and so that made you know that at least in and of itself made uh doing a universal app a lot easier and it made auto layout and all those things um a lot simpler um at the time that was great but but um it didn't really quite get you know go far enough uh, but it was laying the groundwork i think for what we have now with you know um the ipad air 2 and the ipad pro to have the side by side because um you can resize these apps very simply if you've used you know the 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 recommended layout like this uh in your app it allows you to resize them to any size, which is now we have the ability to split view side by side apps um, multitasking, which is which is great. And and the reason that was really good for utilities is that the problem you, you know early on utilities w- would use URL schemes to make it easy to get to the utility from whatever app you're in. So if you're in a text editor, you could use a URL scheme to go somewhere to uh, grab a quick link and bring it back or something along those lines. And that was, that was good, but it was also kind of fiddly and a little bit complicated for what it was. And it was really just a power user feature. Um, you know, with side by side, it makes it a lot easier to have the notes app next to your text editor or to have Safari next to your text editor, um, without having to use any URL schemes. Um, so that made it a lot easier to 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 have the uh, have those have those utilities available. And I think the third piece of it is the our extensions. The fact that you can be in just about any app, and if someone's uh, created an extension for their utility, uh, you have access to that from right within another app. Um, you know, all of which together, I think, does have has done a great job of helping sell utilities because uh, they're easy to access now before you had to do some sort of URL scheme. I think this is why we've seen URL schemes kind of, you don't hear them talked about as much. People are using them. I've, you know, I've talked to them, people who use Blink's URL schemes still. Um, But for the most part, except for in very specific use cases, I don't think they're really that necessary anymore. No, I think you're right. It's, it's extensions, especially from a from an end user perspective, um, and I think Instapaper is a good example of this. Um, you know, in the beginning when Instapaper came out, 
you know, and we had apps like uh, Tweety, uh, which became the official Twitter app. Um, you know, if, if if you wanted to save a link to Instapaper, um, you had to either install the bookmarklet in Safari uh, on the right. iPhone, which was notoriously terrible. Um, or, you know, you had to wait for your favorite apps or, you know, the apps that you use to implement, um, you know, Instapaper login and things like that so you could save. Whereas, you know, now there's a, there's a new app I've downloaded called uh, Magpie Video. Um, and it's, uh-huh. a, it's kind of uh, just like a – it's Instapaper for video, essentially. Um, and that works on the TV, on the iPhone as well, on the iPad. Um, but they don't need to wait for other apps to implement their API or anything like that because they've got an extension – I can save it from anywhere. And, I th- and, you know, that really is a huge step in terms of, you know, not relying on third-party developers, but instead you, the developer of your product, can just get it out there and people can just use it. Yeah, and it's a lot easier if you're developing an app to deal with an extension where you're, you know, you're dealing with with some sort of content, whether it's a URL or text or an image or something like that, instead of implementing a whole bunch of different you know, disparate APIs from various services that people want in your app. You don't have to worry about who, you know, what the favorite, what the favorite uh, service is. You just implement an extension and it's available anywhere. Yeah, definitely. I think the other, um, you know, the other benefit of this is, I mean, you, you know, you've done it, I've done it. You, you know, you wipe your phone or you download a brand new app like Tweetbot, you know, before it implemented the, you know, the share sheet or the action sheet. And, you know, if you, um, if this was a brand new phone and you didn't do it from a backup, you'd have to sit there and log into Instapaper and log into Facebook and, and log into all these different services. Whereas now you don't need to do any of that because you're already logged in through that vendor's app anyway. Right. Yeah. So you know, just kind of a interesting point. And I, I, it's funny, I was listening to connected 67 the other day, which we mentioned kind of at the top of the show and Federico was explaining how little he uses URL schemes anymore, which when you think about it, I mean, back in the day, he, you know, one of his, I remember one of his, he had an early video where he, he chained a bunch of, uh, URL schemes together. And he, he, I don't know, he got it up to 10 or something like that, you know, just moving text from one thing to another, um, just to see if he could do it. Um, and you don't see, you know, that, that is probably the one, the one use case still for URL schemes, which is where you want to move things between more than two apps because extensions really don't allow you to do more than, you know, using an, a different service within the app you, you're currently in. You can't really take, um, move things through two or three different filters or, or services. But, um, the, the times when you need to do that, at least the times when I've needed to do that are, are few and far between. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, you mentioned the URL schemes and, and, uh, you know, setting up that kind of process. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think you're right. There are these, these use cases where you do need to do two or three more, but, um, like I think for the average user who you know gets a brand new iPad and and they want to do things with it, you know they want to you know open something up in Blink and and turn it into affiliate link or open it in Notes or add a URL to Notes, you know that kind of thing. Previously with URL schemes, that's not really something that anyone can just pick up. You know you, you you've got to kind of put some work into it. Whereas with extensions, everything is just there and it just works. You know, people haven't got to mess around with something like Python Easter or editorial, things like that, which, you know, these are the power user features. Yeah. No, and look there, and there's still room for improvement for sure. I mean, I know from having written an extension, I think that the 
the process of programming an extension could be a lot easier. Right now, it's like uh, you have to use um, special NS predicate syntax that you that you paste into a plist, and uh, it's. I, I think it could be a lot more user friendly in terms of creation, um, but but it's uh, it's not terrible, and it's it's a lot easier than doing what people used to do, which is I mean if you remember back in the day, Unread had all these great services you could send your RSS feed articles to, and those were all coded one you know one after the other. Those were all individually coded for those services. Yeah, which is obviously a lot of work for you know the developers, and again, it's a lot of work for a user to uh, to log in um, and do that. I mean, I, I think I'm actually surprised to be honest that extensions took as long as they did. Um, you know, they waited. Uh, how long have we had them now? A year, two years? Um, because obviously on Androids, they they had uh, Android Intense, uh, which is you know your app kind of registers as a very similar to extensions you know you say i can accept urls or i can accept text or video or, or you know whatever it is right um you know but and that was always one of the things i looked at android and i was like god I, you know i really wish i had that um you yeah. know i could just dump something from any app and just give it to somewhere else um you know as i say that it's great that we do have it now um and you know it works really well yeah, I think security was probably part of that as to why it took a while. Um, and it may not be all of it, but um, I think you know there are security issues in in sending kind of random bits of of data between between apps. Oh, absolutely, and you know Apple are always pretty focused on making sure that one app cannot read data from another app. So yeah, as you say, I can I can well imagine why it took as long as it did. So you know what I I have a good I have if you want to move on I unless you have anything else I've got a. a cranky complaint about the about technology in the future go on john yell at the cloud tell tell me what you've got well i I need to yell at the cloud i have to be the old man who yells at the cloud because um i tried to buy a train a mobile train ticket the other day and i can't imagine that anybody can figure this out now i guess my situation is maybe a little complicated but i don't think it's that uncommon which is so they just started we've had something in chicago for a while called the ventra card uh, which lets you use the buses and and subways in the city, um, but it wasn't it didn't work with the with the commuter rail that went out to the suburbs, and they've just added that. So I can now supposedly buy an electronic uh, train ticket to get into the city. Now, in the U.S., we have um, there's like there's some programs that allow you to take money out of your paycheck to buy. Um, you know, to buy public transit tickets uh, pre-tax. So you get the benefit of not having to pay tax on that money. Um, and, but it's capped. Um, and it used to be a lot higher, but it's a lot smaller than it used to be. Um, this is one of those thanks Obama moments, but I won't get into the, uh, <laughs> I won't get into the, the politics of it. But, but uh, suffice it to say, the amount that I can set aside and get a tax benefit for is less than the amount of, that it costs me to get a, a monthly train pass. So that, that makes things complicated. Right now, my passes come in the mail. Um, they pull the money out of my out of my paycheck. It goes to a company, and then they pull the difference out of my credit card. Uh, goes to the, the company again, and then they mail me a paper train ticket, which is a little flimsy thing that's easy to lose. So I thought, yeah, mobile train pass would be great. It'll be on my phone. You know, I'm not going to lose it. Um, so I, I found that, and this is, I'll try to explain this. I had to take, in order to make this work, I had to take the pre-tax, two sources, pre-tax money out of the paycheck, credit card, 
drop them onto something called a venture card, which is a you know like a debit card, but it's not it's not a real card. It's a it's only a virtual card inside the app. And then I had to within the app take the money off of the virtual card and drop it into and and buy a train pass in the app. So there's this weird two-step process even within the app you don't can't just like buy the train pass you have to have it on a on a quote card and then buy the train pass and this is all took me several tries to um, figure out how this works and i still don't know if i have it right because i don't have the uh the mobile train pass because it takes a while for this stuff to be uh, processed and then and then um buy it and have it for january now is when i'm going to have it but i did manage to buy a five dollar card um, which is again, a virtual card. A couple days later, the serial number for that card showed up in the app. I took that. I went to one website, put it in so that my, uh, my pre-tax money would go to that card. And then I try. And so I had that pre-tax money plus the $5, but I was still about a dollar 75 short. So I thought, nah, no problem. I'll just take my credit card and drop a little more cash onto the, uh, this debit card in the app. Uh, but it wouldn't let me, it would just gave me a bizarre error message that said something like the catalog is not available. And I don't have no idea what that means. That is um, a, so, that's a gloriously helpful error message. Yeah. I don't even, you know, I should have written it in the show notes and I don't think I did. Um, um no, because, I can sit here. Uh, Oh, I'm missing it. Where, what was it? Let me, let me quote it. It's a alert, no catalog available for transit value. Okay. Right. So there's no solution to it. It's just there's no catalog available, which I don't know what that means. So we'll see. Um, at some point, I may be stuck with a card that has all but a dollar seventy-five, the dollar seventy-five necessary to buy my train pass next month. I'm hoping that that's not what happens. But <laughs> so I, the whole thing was frustrating. I ended up. I mean, as part of this, I ended up calling the. Uh, calling the benefits people at my job. I ended up calling the, uh, the people who run this program. Uh, I think the problem is in part is that this card program in Chicago was not set up with this in mind in part. And you've got the extra complication of you're trying to deal with, um, with kind of a government, you know, benefits program. Uh, so it, it's complicated. It's, I guess, now that I say it all aloud, it sounds pretty boring, too. We can cut this all out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, I don't think it's boring, John. I, I think, to be honest, this is a, as an overall kind of uh, topic, like this is something that always frustrates me. You know, you see, um, you know, these startups and it, it, for, uh, take an example like Instagram or, or, you know, whatever, and they come out with their app and their app's great and it works really well. And then my bank comes out with an app. You know, they, my, my bank has more money than Instagram. Well, or they certainly right. did before they got bought out by Facebook. But let's assume we're talking about Instagram when they first started. Right. You know, so Instagram got this great app. My bank come out with an app and it is awful. I mean, it, it is one of the worst apps I have on my phone. But my only choices are either use that or use the website. And the website is just another topic altogether. Um and and I just feel like there's something frustrating about, um, you know, when government agencies get involved and, you know, they need to have their, you know, they want to have their input on these apps and all these apps have to work with government projects and, and APIs and things like that. And they always just come out terrible. I don't know why my bank, which is it's HSBC, which is, you know, it's a worldwide bank, right. can't come up with a decent app. 
Yeah, no, it is hard. And, and you, the thing is that's frustrating for me is I look at, first of all, I think, figure, I don't know who can, is going to figure this out, how, how this works. It's not easy, and their help documentation and everything is very confusing. Um, the te- terminology they use for everything, this transit value terminology, um, makes it hard to tell exactly what you're doing. Am I paying you money? Am I getting it from somewhere else? Um, but you can see the promise in it. That's why it's frustrating because you can you can see that if I if you have the electronic ticket, um, there are certain benefits to having that. It just shows up. All you have to do is tap tap hopefully tap a couple buttons on your phone before you get on the train and you've got a pass. But um, instead, I spent about an hour trying to figure this out. Yeah, and I think I think you've got a note here that said kind of you know it, it made you feel stupid and you kind of just said you know you'd wonder how anyone would figure this out. And I think yeah. you know like me and you are kind of at an advantage. You know we. You know, you're an iOS developer, or I'm a web developer, and we kind of, I think we approach these problems slightly differently, because if we see an error message, we kind of think, oh, I think I know what might have happened there, let me try this. Um, right. But somebody without that kind of background knowledge is not going to understand these weird error messages or, or you know, strange behavior in in the app. Right. I mean, what is a catalog for transit value? I, I mean, <laughs> is I... It a... Is it a catalog of amounts that you can you can add to it? I mean, what what does that mean? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I can't I can't parse that sentence at all. <laughs> I don't understand what that means. Um, and I'm still getting it. I just tried it. I still get the same thing. Uh, well, <laughs> looks, looks like you might be walking to work. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's going to be terrible because I'm going to end up having like two hundred dollars locked into this stupid card, and I'm not going to have any way to get it off. So <laughs> I'll report back in January. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, what, what on on this topic? Um, do you have the uh, the transit uh, data in in Apple Maps for Chicago? Is that something that's that's available? Yeah, we do. We it just came uh, with iOS nine. It, w- it was added, and I haven't used it a lot just because I don't think it includes the trains. I might be wrong about that. Um, and I kind of have you know the typical trains that I take. I have that kind of memorized. It doesn't really require you know i don't need it for my day-to-day it would be useful if i was going somewhere that i'm not familiar with or that i haven't gone to before um and i haven't had the opportunity to use it for that yet um but it you know it looks nice looks like it you know it it does what they say where you know it gives you an idea of where you actually should go because it's it's you know i know this is true from talking to you and and mike about you know some of the, the tube stations in london for instance you know they might be you might be able to go in in two different places that are separated by a couple of blocks yeah, and so it, it you know it doesn't help to have the the pin of where the station is, where the actual platform is when you're actually going in a block away, right? Oh, d- definitely. I mean, the the example for me, I mean, because I, I had certainly haven't been to London um, since Apple Maps have had it, um, but I remember when I was in New York, and, and you know, I was using Apple Maps or maybe I was using Google Maps. You know, it was a combination of both. Um, and you know, New York has the same thing, you know, as a lot of kind of subway stations do, there might be a pin on the, on the map, but there might be three or four entrances, you know, there's one on each corner of the block. Um, and, and depending on what one you go into depends on what direction you can go to sometimes. Um, so, you know, this kind of thing where it actually marks where I might need to go in would, you know, be really, really useful. Yeah. And so that, that's what it's doing in Chicago too. It's the same thing. I mean, we have the same situation where when you come out of the, especially when you're underground, you come out, you can either come out, uh, on one street or, you know, a street, a block away. Um, and, and this does a good job of marking the entrances. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised, uh, with the, the UK actually that, um, I mean, we have a lot of, tra- I think the train data is in, 
in Apple Maps for the entirety of the UK um, because our, our, our trains are kind of a, a, a relatively kind of centralised system. So all that data is there for the entirety of the UK. Um, right. But their bus data uh, is, is awful. Um, that they basically don't have it. I mean, other than inside London, um, they don't have it. And it's kind of surprising because the UK have actually been pretty good with, um, we have a lot of APIs for getting, you know, real-time bus data for pretty much the entire country, um, which mm-hmm. is why there's a lot, a lot of bus apps um, on the App Store for the UK. Um, and I'm just surprised that that data actually isn't in, in Apple Maps yet. Yeah, I, I'm actually amazed that we even have, um, that we even have, a way to buy tickets online for the train system because you until you can't even buy a ticket on the train um, with anything but cash. I mean, it's still a very, it's a system that, that is living in probably 50 years in the past. Right. The, the trains in, in the U S I, I don't, I very rarely hear anyone talk about trains in the U S. Um, but I, I get the impression, is it kind of each, you know, there's loads of different companies that run the trains and you have to, go to those specific sites like say you were traveling to another state or something i assume you'd have to go to that specific train company's site to buy a ticket well we have something called amtrak which is kind of nationwide it's not very good it's subsidized by the government um and i can drive places faster than i can take the train i mean we know we don't have very many high-speed trains or anything like that they have a couple on the east coast between they run up and down um, the East Coast, like New York and, uh, and south of there. Um, what I'm talking, what I'm taking every day is just a regional train line, though. I mean, Chicago is a little different than a lot of cities because it was a, it's always been a transportation hub and a train hub from from way back. So we've got tons and tons of, of um, you know tracks all over the place, and so there's both a lot of freight and a lot of and, and the ability to have commuter rail all over the place so unlike a lot of u.s cities we have um, a real good train system but that again that is just like on a state level um our our train system but then if you wanted to go uh if you wanted to go to another state or even just further away in illinois you'd have to take amtrak which is not the best right okay that that gives me a kind of better understanding of uh of the u.s because i just never hear anyone from the u.s talk about getting any trains really you know um so I think air travel is certainly a lot more accessible for you guys than it is for us. Like, I cannot go to an airport and just buy a ticket on a whim. Um, not on a whim, but it's not the kind of thing in, in the UK that you just go and buy a ticket to, to travel within the country, really. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's, you know, for me, like this train system that I'm on gets us, I can go out to the far suburbs and that's about it. I mean, it, it ends at kind of the edges of the, the Chicago area. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I mean, again, I'm kind of talking about the whole of the UK. I mean, the UK is barely right. bigger than, than some of the states in the U- in the US. So uh, it kind of right. makes sense that we have this kind of national coverage for trains and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So we've, um, I think we've probably covered uh, us moaning about technology and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah, trains and so. things like that. Um, we've sure. got a few different... Uh, few different links in here uh, the first one is uh, a kickstarter that somebody started to um to make the uh the the film uh classification board watch a film of paint drying um and, and this <laughs> this is just great um and i don't know what it's like in the u.s but there's essentially there's a, a kind of loophole in the uk um when these films get sent off to get their uh you know their age rating whether it's uh, in the uk it's kind of a uh, pg and then 12 and 15 and 18 i think 
Um, but you, if somebody sends their film to be watched by this disclassification board, they guarantee that they will watch every single second of it. <laughs> so this is just an elaborate troll on the uh, censors? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if... Uh, if I look on the Kickstarter, uh, it says essentially what they do, they charge a one-off fee of just over £100. Uh-huh. And then there's a per-minute fee of £7. Um, oh, wow. So, you know, I mean, I you know, for a big blockbuster film, it's hardly... that That's not a lot of money, even if it was kind of three hours long. Um, right. So, so this Kickstarter is uh, essentially for every £7 that gets raised, he's going to add another minute to the film that he sends oh, to wow. the... Uh, to the uh, the certification board, it's gotten really long now. In terms, of, they've already gotten to a point where they're the film's going to be really long, isn't it? I think I saw you tweet about this. Uh, yeah, a friend of mine, uh, John Ginn, he created a site to uh, to just track and work out how long it is. And right now, it's going to be twelve hours, ten minutes, and fifty seven seconds. Um, hmm. so, so that's wow. going to be interesting for the board to uh, to sit there and watch. <laughs> that's funny so we'll uh I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to the kickstarter and uh john's uh tracking site yeah that'd be that'd be good i'd like to check that out i haven't i actually haven't watched the video on this one but i did t- check out the site briefly yeah the um, uh the, the the uh the classification board actually uh made a, a statement about the uh the kickstarter as well and said yes we guarantee to watch every minute of every film that gets sent to us so they they truly are going to watch all of it by by the sounds of it yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a pretty big project. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Get it, get it to some point where they delay uh, the approval of other other films. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how many people they have working there. I mean, how many yeah. films get released? Pro- probably quite a few. Um, yep. You know, so twelve hours is going to take a significant chunk out of their time. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, you you um, use this Face Party app. What do you think of that? I, I th- that's for doing like um, mosaics of of selfies, basically. Yeah. So this is a so you have a grid of four, and it, it, the the square is just split into a grid of four, um, and then for each square you can you know record a video, and I think maybe you can take a photo as well, um, and then so you do the little video for each square, um, and then you can save that as either a, a video or as a, a GIF. Um, although the gifts are too big to post to Twitter, um, they, they go way over the limit. So the video really is the only way you can share it. Um, but yeah, this is, this was a fun little app. I, I, I don't remember where I saw it. I think maybe somebody tweeted about it. Um, don't Google face party cause that site yeah. is not what it used to be. <laughs> no, that's what I did. I was like, Oh Rob, this, I don't think this is what I was looking for. No, fa- <laughs> I as, as an aside, face party, the, the the website uh, nothing to do with this app you was a uh, it was a facebook style um kind of social network it was before facebook and and kind of around the same time as myspace um oh, and i remember okay. using it when i was maybe probably 15 or 16 um but it you know it pretty quickly got replaced by by myspace and then subsequently by facebook um and at some point in the last 10 years, it's pivoted to something completely different. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll call it a, di- we'll call it a dating site. Yeah. Let's call it that. That's probably the most polite way to, <laughs> to put it. Yes. It's, it's in that sphere. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, it's kind of a cool app though. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, make a pretty neat, it's not, it's neat how you can make a collage of gifts, uh, you know, 
And you had one of you and your cat, and I forget what else. Uh, I think I had it was it was me, and then one of each of uh, it, I've got two cats. Um, so it's okay. one of each of those, and then I think it was just my Xbox controller that I was holding at the time, um, just to try it out. <laughs> uh, I mean, as I say, it's a fun app, but I, I just wonder whether I will actually use it or not. But um, you know, I'll leave it there for now. Maybe I'll find some interesting use case for it. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, you know. Um, I saw a Kickstarter this week, too, that I actually backed, which I, I think is kind of neat. I'm always looking for a good, um, sl- slim wallet, you know? And I've tried, I've been using something called the Cinch, which I also was a Kickstarter a while back. Um, but I found something that I think might be a little better. Um, it is just a, a piece of metal. This one's titanium um, that is shaped in a way that you can put several cards into the slot and then a few bills and with an elastic around the outside um, that fits into notches uh, so that it's not, you know, so it's kind of recessed along with the, um, the case itself. Um, and I just thought I'd mention it cause it's, uh, it looks like a pretty decent way to carry, uh, carry, you know, your, your driver's license and a couple of credit cards and that sort of thing. Um, because I like, I don't like having a big, fat, thick George Costanza wallet. Yeah, I, I've looked at uh, slim wallets before. Because uh, the the longer it goes on, the the less and less I actually uh, c- carry any cash. To be honest, um, you know, combination of kind of being able to use Apple Pay pretty much everywhere in the UK, um, and and I very very rarely need to use cash. The only exception to that is is the bus, um, because the buses in Portsmouth still don't accept any kind of card payment or or, uh, or anything like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. This, this looks like a, a really nicely designed, uh, um, a te- you know, a, another go at the the slim wallet. Um, so yeah, yeah. So nice. I'll, yeah, we'll see how it works. Um, uh, you know, I should get. I don't know. I think it's going to be a while before this thing. I forget what they what they said in terms of their timeline, but it's going to be quite a while. Yeah, I mean, still, I don't. I think they're saying January yeah. on here. Um, oh, okay, that's not as bad as I thought. I thought it was later than that. So that, well, we'll see. Yeah, this this looks actually like quite a nice Kickstarter that they seem to be limiting it, limiting it to a certain amount, um, and kind of keeping it down so that um, you know they're, they're not going to have these huge, huge delays that uh, that a lot of Kickstarters seem to suffer with. Right, and um, these guys have been around. I know they've done they've done a couple other successful Kickstarters in the past. Um, this is not the first one of these that they've that they've funded this way. So, I mean, I think they've got a bit of a track record. So, um, that's one reason I was comfortable backing this one. I've had a couple of bad experiences, but, uh, for the most part, you know, you gotta, I, I don't know, you gotta be really careful picking Kickstarters for sure. Cause delay is, it's almost guaranteed that if it's hardware, it's going to be delayed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, but, um, but these, I, this is a fairly simple thing and it's similar to what they've put together in the past. So I felt pretty comfortable that it was going to, that hopefully it'll, it'll be on time. Yeah. I think the other uh, telling part of some Kickstarters is like this one in particular just has three levels of backing. That's it. Um, you know, you, you right. buy one, you buy one and a t-shirt or you can buy two of the wallets. Like that's it. Um, and I think that's good because that kind of, it limits people from it kind of, so the problem is if they sell, Imagine they sell, I don't know, 500,000 of these. Then how long is that going to be delayed? You know, you might be waiting six months or a year or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think yeah. It's, it's good to kind of keep an eye on what kind of levels of backing they're offering as well um, and, and seeing if they're limiting that in some way. 
Right. No, I agree. And I think, um, actually, I, I, it seems to me that if you're running a Kickstarter, you want, you'd want to try to limit the choices as well, because you, otherwise you get the paralysis of choice and people don't, you know, don't necessarily, they, they don't know what to pick, so they don't pick anything. Um, so I think it's kind of a good strategy if you're a company doing a Kickstarter too. Yeah, definitely. So maybe we so should, what else, uh, Rob? Maybe, maybe we should talk about uh, Kickstarter in the future. I'll, uh, I'll add that to our list yeah. of topics maybe, because uh, I think yeah, I've probably got idea. some more, more thoughts on it and uh, things like that. Sure. Um, so you posted a, or you, you found a, a, a video from uh, a BrickCon 2015, which is a Lego uh, convention. Yeah, it was kind of, it was just kind of cool. I mean, they, someone has built, um, computer cases using Lego so they look like buildings and they have little scenes and things going on inside the case and they've got all the computer components in there. I, I saw this, I think, um, Stephen Hackett, uh, had posted it on Twitter a few days, three, four days ago. Um, and it is just pretty, uh, pretty neat video if you wanted. So two, three minutes long. Um, I thought it was a, a interesting concept. I would never have thought to build a computer case out of Lego. Yeah, I'm always amazed, uh, especially at these huge kind of Lego conferences. Um, you know, um, just, just I'm just amazed at the, the kind of things that people can come up with and uh, and actually, you know, get working. I mean, I I wonder how uh, wonder how hot uh, a Lego computer case would get, but I guess maybe they've thought of that. I mean, I can see some fans and stuff that they've set up as well. So, you know, maybe it is a perfectly good computer case. And uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. Yeah, I thought it was just kind of neat. Um, the other video I dropped in the show notes was the the trailer for um, Captain America: Civil War. What do you think of that? I love the Marvel movies. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. I thought this was a cool trailer. I saw some people um, poo pooing it on on Twitter the other day about it being too political or I don't know something like that. But and you know, and why is Civil War in the title? And, and you know, my re- my response to that was, well, that's because what the comic book that's what the comic book is called. I mean, come on. Yeah, um, I, I think that it, I, th- I feel like the the biggest problem is like I love the Marvel movies. You know, I watch them all the time, and you know, I, I just pick random ones or I watch them in order and things like that. But but this is the twelfth Marvel movie in the in the series. Um, so like you, you get to this point, and and I, I wonder if you can even introduce people to the Marvel movies at this point because it's like, oh yeah, by the way, you can watch Civil War, but here's eleven films you need to go back and watch so you understand how we got to this point. Yeah, no, I mean I, I agree. I mean they have to be careful because there's there's one thing to have kind of the they have to cater both to the continuity and the the fan, super fans have seen all of them, but it has to stand on its own as a story, I think too. Yeah, definitely. And of course, then we've got, um, you know, you've got Jessica Jones, you've got Daredevil, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, There was one, did you see me tweet about this? There's a show, a Marvel show coming that ABC are making called Marvel's Damage Control. Did you did you see this tweet? Yeah, I, I thought that that was I thought that was a joke at first. It, it made no sense to me. No, this is not a joke. This is a, a show that um, uh, ABC are making. Uh, who they also make Agent Carter and uh, Agents of Shield, and it's uh, it's a TV series based around the underpaid, overworked uh, staff that, that that basically the cleanup crew who go and clean up all the mess that the Avengers have made and, and that, you know, the shield agents and things like that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. That's, that's really, it's like behind the scenes, behind the scenes. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, as a fan of the Marvel stuff, I'll certainly give it a go, but, um, you know, where'd you say that's going to, where'd you say that's going to be 
on ABC. Uh, I think is it ABC. I, th- I think that's who makes uh, Agents of Shield and uh, yeah, Agent Carter. Huh? Yeah. Do you, have you watch? Is Agent Carter any good? I haven't really watched that. Uh, yeah, it's certainly interesting. It's a fairly short series. I think it's only eight or nine uh, episodes uh, for the first series, and I think the the second series, which is coming in February, is the same. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's certainly nice. You know, if you're interested in the um, you know the Marvel universe as a kind of wider thing. Um, it certainly gives a little bit more context to, uh, to to all of that as well. That's good. I really like Jessica Jones. That I, I finished that the other day, by the way. Uh, yeah, me too. Actually, um, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed that. Um, that was uh, I, I found it uh, significantly more, uh, better than uh, than Daredevil. I mean, I enjoyed Daredevil, but uh, Jessica Jones, I felt just kind of got into it a lot quicker. Um, obviously, we won't spoil anything, um, but definitely go. Yeah, and watch I know. It. But I, I think it's a good example of what you were saying, where I, I mean, there is continuity between that and Daredevil. They're all kind of set in the same area of New York, but there's not. You you, you can definitely enjoy uh, the Jessica Jones series without without um, having seen Daredevil. I think. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I think it's it genuinely is just a really good kind of. Uh, not sure what you'd call it. Maybe a, a crime drama, a thriller drama, that kind of thing. Um, I think it does. It does. Um, you know, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I do think it stands on its own uh, as, as a TV show, even without the kind of Marvel uh, connotations to it. Right. So, um, I mean, the, the wider point I was making that kind of, you've got all these different TV shows that, that lead into the movies and, you know, the movies hint back to the TV shows. I mean, there's this huge catalogue that really, if you want to know everything about Marvel, I mean, you could be there for days watching all this stuff. Yeah, I know you definitely could. Um, but you know, I, we'll, we'll see when Civil War comes out. I'm sure they'll do a, a pretty good job of kind of uh, making sure that it does stand on its own as as well as being part of the you know the the main overall storyline. Yeah, I hope so. I think that I think the um, you know the Captain America ones and the Avengers ones overall have been pretty good. Um, I, I'm pretty easy to please with movies. I mean, I just go for a little escapist, you know, entertainment. Um, so I'm not I'm not I'm not quite the uh, the critic that maybe the guys on Defocused might be. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think you know we we spoke about this uh, somewhere. Maybe it was Slack or, or wherever. But um, you know I, I'm kind of the same. My bar for a movie isn't exactly high. Um, you know, as, as long as the story's good and I'm entertained, I, I'm not really bothered about the the little intricate details of, of things that may be wrong or right and things like that. So uh, so yeah, right. We- Right, which is why you, whatever you do, don't watch Batman from 1989 because Rob only lasted 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's really saying something. Definitely. So um, I guess that we've come to the end for this week. Yep. So um, if you if you want to leave a review in iTunes and, and rate us, that would be great. Um, we really enjoy reading a few of those that we've had already. Um, you, you know, subscribe as well in case you're only listening to this once. Don't forget to subscribe, and then you know you'll get the next episode when it comes. Um, the show notes will be at ruminatepodcast.com/slash/eight. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at rmlewisuk, or on the web uh, roblewis.me. And John, where can people find you? On Twitter at John Voorhees. So that's J O H N V O R H E E S or squibner.com fantastic and we will back we will be back in a couple of weeks all right see you later rob see you later john